despite James Reimer's best efforts in net this evening and making more than 40 saves and a losing effort, the Sharks come out on home ice on 49ers night and take the L 2-1 to one against the New York Rangers. I'll be breaking it down along with Kevin Lacey after this. But first, if you want to be a part of the show and teal together with us, join us in the Super Chat and across all the social media platforms, including Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, Reddit, Discord, and of course, the shenanigans that go on on the TikToks. Find all of that and more at TealTownUSA.com. And if you want to like and subscribe or give us some support over on uh, Venmo, that's awesome too, at TealTownUSA. We appreciate it, and you keep the lights on. Thanks, everybody. All right, I'm joined by Kevin Lacey. Kevin, it's good to see you, buddy. How are you doing this evening? Well, uh, I went to the 49ers game last Sunday. Here it's 49ers game tonight. You see the lovely gridiron on the screen, folks. And uh, it wasn't the best game, but the 49ers did get a victory. I was supposed to go to the Sharks game tonight, and I didn't, but it wasn't the best game, <laughs> but the Sharks didn't get the same result. Oh, geez. That was a very interesting game, and I'm really actually excited to get this show on the road. Uh, how you doing, Eric? How you doing, folks out in, in the uh, chat land? Well, I mean... Twitter is surviving, so there's that. <laughs> uh, Twitter's surviving about as well as the sharks are uh, um, right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please, man overboard. Throw, yeah. throw us a life preserver. Um, no, I mean, the, I, I think you're absolutely right. Tonight's game is kind of interesting from the perspective of it wasn't a lot of offense until very late in the game. Um, the ice almost seemed tilted towards New York most of the night tonight but if you look at the the shots on gold you know the Sharks did get um, some chances but it was basically they were outshot two to one um, and and really looked like a team that was kind of letting another team dictate the way that they want to play um, so you know coming out in that first period of course um, we really didn't have a lot it was very probative right you had uh, one team um, kind of entering in on the offensive zone maybe have one or two shots on net and then it would the the play would would shift over and the other team would possess the puck and it kind of just was a little bit of that back and forth um, in that first period but of course it seemed like it was like a two to one ratio for every couple of shots New York got off in that first you know the Sharks only got one and it bared out on the on the shots 15 to 8 um, Kevin, I mean, what did you see in that first period that kind of we're seeing uh, one team, the Rangers, dictating a style of play from the get-go? Yeah, absolutely, Eric. I mean, and it wasn't just the first period. I mean, this whole game was like this, I felt like, where, yeah, you know, the Sharks would, the Sharks had their time with the puck, but it seemed like the Sharks didn't have that urgency the same way the Rangers did. The Rangers have been generally struggling or at least underperforming this season. And I thought they skated like a bat out of hell the entire game. They completely just out possessed, out skated out everything to the sharks tonight. But they, they, they eked by with obviously a two nothing victory. I think that when the Rangers had the puck, they made their plays. They got their shots to the net. Boy, did they get a lot of shots to the net tonight. And then the Sharks were just kind of like fumbling, bumbling around. Like they were able to get into the Rangers zone, which has been part of the Rangers problems. The, the neutral zone suppression has not really been existent for them. But the Sharks didn't really know what to do with the puck outside of maybe Tomash Hurdle. I thought Hurdle had a really strong game uh, with his puck management. Other than that, I mean, between him and Eric Carlson, they couldn't they couldn't uh, will this Sharks team to a victory tonight. I just I thought the Sharks didn't look organized whatsoever. So that's why, to your point, how it seemed like the Rangers had a couple shots for every Sharks one. Um, that's just kind of 
I think the the decisions that were made uh, were reflective in the stats tonight. Yeah, yeah, and and even you know we'll we'll talk penalties here. The Sharks, you know, had, took the tripping penalty against Stephen Lawrence and were able to uh, Stephen Lawrence against uh, Julian Gauthier, and you know it was uh, a good kill by the Sharks who we're actually coming into this um, into this game number one on the PK. So continuing that good PK foundation and, you know, we're able to get through the penalty and not have um, New York score on it. There was some good scoring chances during that penalty kill though. Um, and I thought one guy who you could not hang a loss on tonight. And it's unfortunate that he did get the L was James Reimer. I mean, it looked like from the puck drop, he was ready to, prove that you know that game on Thursday night against Detroit was was just an outlier um what'd you see from Rhymes early on that made you think you know maybe he could seal this one James Reimer's side to side movement was incredible tonight I mean that that really was it more than necessarily uh, starting positioning or even reflexes as, as far as like hand quickness and things go his lateral movement was outstanding tonight he had a couple of saves on capo caco uh that i can think of here where it was like how did he make that save well i think one was on a power play one was even strength but reimer was really dialed in and they mentioned on the broadcast tonight about how uh there was some thought that caco capo caco nen not capo caco would uh get the start but uh, Reimer came in. Reimer had that 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 nice outing uh, last game and uh, followed up strong again. Uh, I thought Reimer was easily the, the best player on the team. And, and Eric, you mentioned the penalty kill uh, being number one. I actually, I mean, which they are. Let's <laughs> let's give them credit there. But uh, I thought there were definitely some breakdowns and and luck was on the Sharks side defensively tonight because I didn't think it was the Sharks best effort the 41 shots uh did not come with a whole heck of a lot of shot blocks which meant James Reimer had to be up to task um and when you're playing a team yeah go ahead of um of point blanks on that penalty kill though from Mika Zabinajad who right. I thought was just all over the ice tonight. He had his way with whoever, you know, was his opposing center, whether it be Hurdle or Couture, because they tried both of them against him and just really able to run rough shot um, against the Sharks. And, you know, I think that having that dictating of, of play from the very beginning um, and then adding a little bit of physicality because we saw a hit on uh, Nico Sturm, just Ryan Carpenter coming in and kind of, I wouldn't say a chicken wing, but definitely had shoulder to head contact going into, into the boards. And it was um, not a good hit. That was a rough ride. I didn't know really what to make of that hit because in, in one hand, like if Sturm just stays, keeps his shoulder, his left shoulder back, that's a side to side hit. So in some respect, what happened to him was a result of his own positioning and Carpenter just trying to finish a hit. But at the same time, Carpenter could have let up a little bit because he did come a little from behind there. And I think with Ryan Carpenter, obviously former Shark, former Barracuda player, scored the most famous goal in Barracuda history. But ever since he's left this organization, every time he has played the Sharks, he's played completely pissed off. Uh, whether it was when he was with Vegas, Chicago, or now the Rangers, he's had a little bit of an edge and and kind of the nasty edge because I don't see that in his game any other time. So, yeah, that could have gone two or five. I'm okay with the two. I don't think there's going to be any supplemental discipline. I don't know how you feel about it. I don't think there's going to be anything else. Sturm did come back to the game, but not the best hit and what what frustrated me eric was that you got luke cunning jumping in trying to start stuff that 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 was fine right we didn't see any of that the rest of the game i can't recall one check that the sharks threw the entire rest of the game like that could have been the spark that the sharks needed to get themselves going 
play with more of an edge, play with more of a physical game. We saw none of it. And I think that also played into the Rangers controlling most of this game. Well, and, and it's interesting that, you know, we, we bring up the physicality because I thought it was something that was lacking against Detroit as well. You know, and Detroit is a team more, as of constructed now, more suited for, for more skill play. And, and it seemed like, again, you know, they were able to gain some confidence. And then once, you know, the, the Detroit Red Wings were able to get confidence and same as with the, with the New York Rangers, just having the feeling like, hey, we possess the puck. We can enter the zone at will when we want to. And if you have any problems with that, you know, we're going to put you in the boards and we're going to make you hurt. And yeah. the, the team came out in that second period with that with that power play still going and just look completely lifeless. I mean, dysfunctional getting into the zone. Um, once they set up, I mean, they got, I think, one shot on goal before it gets kicked out. And, you know, New York was able to kill the rest of the penalty. And I think even Reimer had to make a save on uh, the Sharks' power play. So, again, it's like every time we see them get this kind of power play that goes from one period to the next, it just seems like it just sucks the life right out of them. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. That was that was even even before the end of the first period there uh, when the Sharks had, what, 15 seconds of power play time or whatever. Um, they just kind of, again, ho-hummed in the offensive zone. And it was just the theme of the night. I mean, I wasn't really that surprised that the power play did nothing coming out of the second period. Drew Amenda used to say all the time, you know, the, the worst thing that can happen uh, is a power play with an intermission in between. And the Sharks sure showed that tonight. Um, and even, again, the the chances that they did have, they didn't take the shot. And I know that Igor Shesterkin is probably the best goalie in the world. I was going to say the NHL, the world. But make him be the best goalie. Like, don't, why are you why are you passing up point blank chances? I, I'm jumping ahead, but in the third period, Kevin LeBanc two on one, two on two, and passes to I don't know who he passed to, but completely covered. Take the shot. What are you doing? Yeah, like, I ugh. mean, Kevin Kevin has a good wrist shot. You know, it's not like he's you know a chump or or you know can't you know, has no idea how to shoot the puck. I mean, this is a guy yeah. that's, that's scored 20 goals. So, again, I, I don't like when he defers, especially when he has a good, you know, when he has a good lane to the net. It seems like he always kind of wants to defer. Um, and, again, I was just kind of kind of go into the second period. You yeah. know, the, this, this period it would be uh, a little better for the Sharks. I mean, it was 12 uh, to 11 in the shots in favor of New York. But again, more of this disjointed play. Um, again, uh, it seemed like both teams would start to possess the puck in their own zone, bring it through the neutral zone, and then it would just get bogged down in the neutral zone, either with a possession change or then it would be a dump and the other team would possess the puck. So kind of a little bit of a disjointed second period. I mean, what did you see out of the second, Kevin? Yeah, I, I didn't think there was a whole lot to the second period. I mean, you, 12 to 11 sounds like a pretty exciting period, but honestly, it wasn't. Um, and I, I think it was either Ricky or Big Bird in the chat earlier said it was kind of kind of a boring, boring goalie game in general. And I my personal opinion has always been that the second period dictates the overall vibe of a game like a, a good game usually has a fun second period to watch right um, because then it sets up the third period the final frame the go home and uh nothing really happened here in the second period and i think that's why some of the folks in the chat were like ah this game eh, you know <laughs> yeah but uh yeah go ahead I, no i mean i i think you're you're absolutely right because both teams kind of were trading chances and it wasn't really a lot of but they weren't good they weren't great chances you know right. it wasn't Reimer was still the better goalie but they weren't yeah yeah it wasn't sustained and and so because you got 
um, this disjointed play and, and not really a lot of sustained zone time. I, I think, again, not really a second home, uh, second period to write home about. Um, but going into the third period, I mean, it definitely picked up. Um, unfortunately, it picked up in favor of New York and in a big way. Uh, New York getting 16 shots on goal with Sharks uh, with only – getting four yeah. that, um, that 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 was an organizational theme tonight giving up 16 shots in the third period yeah so. um julian gothier would end up getting his goal uh 13 and this one was just a kick out um you know kick out to the blue line you had adam fox and um keandre miller you know playing catch on the blue line able to get the shot in from truba with the nice tip in from gothier in front of the net Again, you know, this one is a classic Sharks out of position defensively um, and, and Reimer really having no shot on, on the redirect because this it, it looked, you know, there was a guy who used to wear number eight in, uh, on this team who used to make very similar types of tips. Yeah, that was a heck of a tip by Julian Gauthier. Um, it kind of caught me off guard a little bit because uh, just the way this was going, the way James Reimer was pretty much st stopping everything, I guess literally stopping everything to that point, um, it, it it seemed like, oh, that was the goal that went in? Like, that's that's what beat him. But, but then when you see Gauthier tip that shot from Truba uh, in the high slot, uh, you'd like to have someone a, a little bit tighter in on him. But I also know that Julian Gauthier, I, rem I still remember to this day, his draft profile was most physically fit, insane bodybuilder type guy ever. So like Gauthier is going to fight to that front there and, and score a goal like that. I mean, I think it was Couture that was on him, would have preferred a defenseman to be lined up on the attacking forward. But nevertheless, um, it was a good, good tip in goal. Um, I was curious to the angles that they showed made it seem like it might've been up high and I don't really want to go down that route, but I was surprised they didn't at least take a quick look, but I, mean, I, I don't yeah, know. Maybe cause, cause you're, you're, you're absolutely right. When you get that stick go parallel like that to the ice and he's almost got it above his elbows. Yeah. It's that's where you really start to have to look, but I, I don't know what Julian Gauthier's. Let me take a look, see what is, uh, how tall I he believe is he's six, two and he's probably about 225 pounds, six, six four, two twenty four. <laughs> so, okay. Well, I got the weight, right? Oh uh, yeah. He's a big boy. So yeah, if it's above his elbows, you, you, you might want to check that, but yeah, but it is I think it, it is. was good. It was still a good goal. It was a tough one for the sharks, but I mean, especially considering the, the number of times that they shut down the Rangers power play tonight. I, and here, let me put my, uh, my Rangers hat on for one moment, but I'll tell you, I think the Rangers power play is the most dangerous weapon in the NHL. I don't care about Connor McDavid or anything about the, the Colorado Avalanche. None of that. Mika's a Banajag, Chris Kreider. Mwah, it's a beaut. But um, so for again, for that to go in, I was a little bit uh, caught off guard, but I think the Sharks played their best hockey after that goal. Do you, how do you feel? Because I, I think they certainly did by miles. Yeah, and and you you wanted to see that urgency throughout the game, but unfortunately, yeah. you know, they just didn't have it, and and it took for that goal to go in, and um, unfortunately, they pulled the goaltender, and you got Eric Carlson making just an ill-advised pass, trying to trying to thread it through, and. Um, a Ranger picks it off and unfortunately goes the other way. And Adam Fox gets the goal on the empty net. Logan Couture trying to play bad goaltender. Um, I, I, this is where the trading Brent Burns burned us. Because Brent Burns was the king of those empty net blocks. Yeah. And uh, Logan did his best effort there. But I didn't like, honestly, though, I did not like how the Sharks played that one at all. Because they had all six players coming down deep in their own end to defend an empty net. Like, I realize there is urgency. You don't want to give up that goal, which turned out to be the empty, uh, the, the, the game winner. 
Um, but you can't have six guys all falling down low because it leaves Adam Fox up high to shoot it. Like, yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I go back further into the play where, you know, Eric Carlson is just, I, I don't know. It's like for every good thing, every, every good play he makes, he, he's got a bad one in him every night. You know what I mean? Like he's got, sure. he's got a boneheaded play that he's trying to make. And, you know, maybe he felt that the pressure was on and needed to make that up pass to, to get um, the puck back into the, the Ranger zone. But again, I mean, he didn't, he didn't have anybody around him. Um, and, and so to try and make that pass through the neutral zone to whoever were the far side player, it was just and, ill-advised. And again, that kind of goes back to what I was saying about, I thought Hurdle and Carlson were the, the only two skaters who really had decent games. Uh, if you have players who are where they should be working as hard as they should be, Eric Carlson doesn't have to try and force that pass that results in the turnover. I can think of at least two plays where Hurdle was right there in the in the crease and made a. I was joking about the the Kreider to or the Zabanajad to Kreider play they like to do on the power play, right. but it's true. Like those guys are in sync at all times, mm-hmm. and I saw Hurdle make a couple of just bang on plays where it's like if someone else super talented was up there the sharks probably win this game three to one or three to two yeah and and hurdle hurdles making these plays and nothing's happening carlson is trying to make plays but carlson again sometimes he lets it, it gets the best of him he forces something that he shouldn't um and and that's the that's the difference between a team that's okay like the sharks and a team that's going to the playoffs like 16 other teams. Yeah, and you know, we'll we'll talk about the Sharks goal here. They're making it a little interesting with 15 seconds left in the game. Logan Couture, uh his ninth of the season hurdle and Meyer and I thought putting those three together um I thought made Logan look, you know, 3 or 4 years younger. You know, playing on the line with <laughs> Timo, Timo and Hurdle, you know, it just seemed like he had a little bit of extra pep in his step. So kind of yeah. fur- to further your point, I mean, there's, there's just a big glaring hole in that top six and it just has not been replaced. And, and you know, as as much as we wanted Oscar Limbo um, um, to get Ugh. to, you know, to fill that. This that, one hurts. It just <laughs> it's it's just not working. And and so you've got this gaping hole um, and, and we've got, you know, Ricky in the chat saying Nieto has been playing well. I, I agree. I think Nieto has been playing well. Um, but, but why are we relying on Matt Nieto? It's been quite a few years since he was a second round pick of this team. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's like you want to get somebody who can get maybe a, an, another shooter on that line because you, you know you got logan who he he is a good tweener right because he'll he's good enough to pass but he'll also take some shots too um i think when you look at barabanov being on that line he's more of a playmaker for sure barabanov was non-existent to me i didn't remember ever seeing him tonight until the rangers scored their goal and then after that i saw him the whole rest of the the final 450 or whatever it was, but it's like, where was he yeah. the first 56 minutes of the game? Exactly. And Nieto, you know, for as good as he's playing, I mean, he's just not the player that he used to be. Right. And I, and I think he was always miscast as, you know, a guy that could potentially squeeze in your top six. I always thought he was kind of that tweener. He's always been a great third line player. And I think at this point, I think he's more of a fourth line player. Um, yeah, you see the effort, which is what's what's killer, right? I mean, you see him going to the net, you see him trying to make shots. It's just that he just doesn't have, uh, you know, that that those tools in the toolbox anymore. So, you want a guy with a little bit more skill because it it just seems like we're wasting, um, you know, some good years of Couture, and unfortunately, yeah, you know, unfortunately, I think it bears out this season where I I don't think he's had his strongest season as a Shark. Um, you know, to this point and, and really looks kind of worn down. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But it was it was fun to see Couture in the last 
minute there, uh, nearly single-handedly tie the game, pull out his best Brad Stewart impression. Exactly. And, uh, I mean, he got that got that goal, beautiful pass from Hurdle. And then Barabanov nearly got that one uh, with, what, eight seconds left to Couture. It just didn't get up. See, that that's where I was saying, make Shester can be the best goalie in the league. That that save right there. I mean, but hell of an effort there by Couture uh, and and Barabanov to try and tie that game. I mean, it was like where up. was that in the second period? Where was that yeah. that, that cross? Where was that on that power play you're talking about coming out of the first intermission? Yeah, I mean that, that you should have had a team that was pretty pissed off to see one of their players go in and look, you know, kind of shaky as he did coming off. So. You know, this one, when I start to think about it and start to break it down a little bit more, it's, you know, the Sharks got what they deserved. And yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, this this bared out in in the shots. I mean, 43 to 23 at the end of the day. Um, Again, you've got James Reimer just doing his absolute most he can do to will this team to to a win, Um, getting a 976 save percentage tonight. And there's not more that you could ask from him, but you just didn't work Shesterkin that much. You know what I mean? No. And and uh, it it I don't know. Again, it just seemed like the Rangers dictated play. The Sharks woke up very late, were unable to get it tied up, and you know the Rangers were just the better team for sixty, um, you know, for sixty minutes. Yeah, I I. The bottom line here, and you guys all know from watching Tilt into Glasses uh, throughout the offseason and so far in the season, I'm definitely on that Connor Bedard train. And so for me, seeing the Sharks lose 2-1 to in regulation, I'm okay with that. <laughs> and I'm glad it happened in regulation. But I, I do like uh, Ricky in the chat, keeping his eye on the prize and saying, hey, Nieto on the second line helps the Sharks lose. So I uh, got to keep the eye on that Bedard-shaped prize. So my last sip of beer uh, goes to that. Uh, frustrating, nevertheless, that the Sharks didn't put in a better 60-minute uh, effort. But uh, yeah, when you look at it from that angle, the Sharks did exactly what we needed to do. So cheers. Yeah. Well, that'll put the bookends on that one. Um, and, you know, again, Sharks would lose 2-1 to one and really waste a really good outing of James Reimer. But, oh, my goodness. Hey, so Eric, Eric, there is something the Sharks can take out of this game. Okay. When James Reimer, those James Reimer talks happened in February for the trade deadline, the Sharks are going to take this highlight reel to all the teams in the Eastern Conference trying to vie for a playoff spot and say – Look what James Reimer did against one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Your conference. You, you can uh, give us a little bit more, a little higher a draft pick. You know, you see what you're getting. So this is definitely going in the uh, the trade talks uh, montage that the Sharks will present in February. Well, I mean, if the, if the Leafs are, you know, going to try and do things in the playoffs... Uh, maybe this time their GM will get them a goaltender at the deadline. So, <laughs> uh, that's all I got to say about that. But going over to the Barracuda, how'd they end up doing today? Oh, jeez. Well, Aaron Dell had a great game, I thought. <laughs> uh, so we're just gonna keep we're just gonna keep on with the theme. And the Barracuda played great for six whole minutes. Uh, so you know, <laughs> one one tenth of the game was fantastic. Barracuda jumped out to a three nothing lead and uh, the rest is uh, left better unsaid. Um, I actually had there it is. I was going to say I had it. So the Barracuda scored three goals in their first four shots. William Eklund, you know, a lot's been made over the spinorama goal that he had in the prospects camp. And he made a spinorama around. I don't know which Tucson defenseman, uh, but he made the move around the defenseman and then took the extra slide from right to left around goalie John Gillies to make it one nothing. That was awesome. And then there was a great tip in goal by Scott Reedy right on the doorstep. I've said time and time again, Scott Reedy has a future in the NHL as a power play specialist. Great tip in off a Bortolo shot, two nothing. Agassino breakaway out of the penalty box, three nothing. It's beautiful. But I said penalty box. 
the Barracuda were shorthanded 10 times tonight. And our boy Ian Reed, definitely on our last teal tinted glasses, made it a point that the Barracuda, despite having a top two penalty kill in the AHL, it's thematic in this organization. You have a great penalty kill. Uh, you can only give teams so many opportunities. So the Barracuda gave up three power play goals to the Roadrunners, ended up giving up six goals unanswered, and they lost, uh, there were a couple empty netters in there. But nevertheless, Barracuda fell 6-3. to three. I know Randy Hahn on the broadcast said, last I checked, the Barracuda were winning 3 nothing, And it's like, oh, don't look at the box score. <laughs> the Barracuda took three, I believe, unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. So I don't know what was going on with uh, the officiating and the Barracuda here. But they weren't doing themselves any favors. And this has been happening all season. The Barracuda have been shooting themselves in the foot every time they get momentum. And that's how that 3 nothing lead evaporated. So despite Aaron Dell making some really, really strong saves, especially in the third period, trying to keep his team in it, uh, Milos Kellerman ended up with a hat trick. And it just it ended up being a very poor night for the Barracuda. And the Barracuda are a little bit thin in an already meh defense. Scott Harrington came down off of waivers. Scott Harrington did not have the best night either. So that that's one of those things where you look to a veteran leader uh, with Derek Pouliot being out, Merkley allegedly being banged up, Chichek for what he is up with the Sharks. Uh, Harrington did not look so good tonight either. And uh, yeah, yeah, that was a rough one, Eric. Rough one. 6-3 final in Tucson. They play tomorrow tomorrow afternoon, though. So Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the the Barracuda right now kind of scuffling a little bit like the Sharks, right? I mean, they're 3-6 and what is it, 0-1 or something? So, um, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of some lean times over there. And I mean, I don't I won't say that I'm concerned, you know, but I would like to start to see more from the guys that, you know, we need to see more from. Um, you know, I'd like to see William Eklund and Bortolo and Robbins be lighting it up every night. And it, it seems at this point, whether it's because the defense um, you know, can't keep them in games, so therefore can't generate offense, or if it's more along the lines of um, a depleted or, or um, not as, as far as talents go, you know, a, a talented roster on the forward end, you, you just like to see the guys that are supposed to serve the drink, serve the drink, and haven't seen that as of yet. Definitely. They're still they're still trying to figure out a way to put it all together. Like right now, those three forwards that you mentioned are all on the same line. Eklund, Bordalo, and Robbins is easily line one for this team. And I think Tristan Robbins has been outstanding. I think he's probably been their best skater this season, uh, even though he's kind of the, the forgotten prospect when you have names like Eklund and Bordalo and Merkley on the team. I think Tristan Robbins has had an outstanding season so far. Uh, but you do want more out of Brandon Coe. You do want more out of Daniil Gushchin. And uh, you want to see... Like Artemi Kenyatsev being a former second round pick, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, started off strong. But as the Barracuda have kind of slid into this, uh, I don't know if problematic way about them is the right word, but there's just a, an inconsistent struggle here. Kenyatsev, I think, has started to kind of fall back into some bad habits defensively. And that's kind of uh, translated into the Barracuda's overall defensive game, no matter how good the goaltending is. I do want to make one point, though, for those of you uh, listening and watching, and thank you for doing so. Um, uh, Eric mentioned the Barracuda are 3-6-0-1. That's uh, since their four-game winning streak to start the season. So uh, if they did start off strong this game was kind of how the season's been so far. Come out to that 3 nothing lead, and then what the hell happened? Uh, the Barracuda start off 4-0. They've now won three of their last 10, and hopefully they'll they'll right the ship tomorrow. But Tucson is surging at the moment. Tucson's sitting in second place with an 8-4-1 and record. And uh, But yeah, if the Barracuda really want to 
show that uh, the Sharks are trending in the right direction from a prospect standpoint, they're going to have to start stringing some wins together. And Eric, I don't, it's hard for us from our, where we're sitting to be able to pass judgment on a coaching staff. But John McCarthy being obviously a rookie coach in the AHL at the professional level or at any level, a, a rookie a head coach, um, it's really going to be up to him to, to, to get this turned around over at Texie U Arena because, because um, you know, it, he, he's learning the same way the players are learning and, and developing. So uh, I'm really curious to see how they go about turning this thing around so that the shark, I mean, the Barracuda can get back into playoff contention. Yeah. And, and I think we'll, this, this dovetails perfectly into a little bit more of a existential kind of conversation about the sharks um, yeah. and, and coaching and, you know, just where the brain trust is. I mean, Quinn tonight uh, on the lack of, of offense, just turnovers, just didn't play hard enough, not enough oomph in our game and no F you in our battles. We were just soft. We were soft. Um, bring in again, um, continued, uh, it, it was a step back and we stunk and we sucked. So a lot of S words, a lot of, of, uh, hard S words there. Um, and almost bearing out kind of similarly over with the Barracuda. Um, you know, Mike Greer went really hard with the BU college connections. And one thing that I had kind of posed, um, my mom was watching with me tonight and, um, you know, kind of looked at her and kind of was talking to her and, and saying, I wonder if there is not enough breadth in the hiring or the selections, because it seemed, again, very college hockey centric. And I wonder if that kind of arm cuffs the sharks a little bit just to you know because it's Greer's kind of uh, his place where he knows where he can kind of mine particular um, coaching or staff or development crew so I mean I'm, I'm asking you Kevin do you, do you see enough breadth in this coaching staff to to get some new ideas and to get the sharks kind of going in the right direction I think it's okay that they went the route that they did. Obviously, it's still not probably ideal, but go with what you know. Like, you know, obviously with the limited experience, talking about John McCarthy, Mike Greer's in the same boat. He hadn't been a general manager before. And um, so go with what you know and fill in the gaps along the way is kind of how I think this the mentality has been for the organization this season. Obviously, the Sharks organizationally were in complete disarray by the end of last season, not knowing where they stood with Doug Wilson, or at least not publicly acknowledging where they stood with Doug Wilson last season. And you could just see it from, from a business standpoint, from an on-ice standpoint, and everything in between. It just seemed like everything was in disarray. So I think the Sharks are still trying to find their stability here. I like Scott Gordon being on the coaching staff because he is a, a coach a veteran coach of both the AHL and the NHL. So as the Sharks looked to kind of build great habits, I know David Quinn has been really, um, I don't know, real, really heavy on habits rather than um, tactics so far because you, you got to learn habits before you can learn tactics. I, I think Scott Gordon is able to kind of relate to the younger players uh, in, in a better way, having coached at both levels. Um, but yeah, I think it's still a fine, uh, just a work they're progress. finding themselves. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So again, I mentioned it on Teal Tinted Glasses last time. I'd rather to see the Sharks get the losses out of the way early in the season and trend upwards so that by February and March, They've figured it out, and the Sharks organizationally know who they want to keep for next year. Uh, they've figured it out. They're trending in the right direction, creating good habits, and then uh, next year is the, the big building year. And I think it's the same thing with the Barracuda. Well, you talk about February and March, and I guess we'll 
kind of ended on this. I mean, wh- where are you hedging your bets on on um, where some of these players are going to end up? I mean, uh, Eric Carlson <laughs> having a renaissance right now and, and in the midst of, you know, in the midst of having found the fountain of youth, there have been rumors abound about a reunion with Ottawa, uh, maybe a potential landing spot with the Leafs. Um, you've got some interest maybe coming out of Florida. I mean, there, there's just, it seemed as if these suitors have just kind of lined up overnight. And it kind of makes sense, right, when you've got a guy this hot um, and seemingly uncertain about the future that he holds, um, you know, with his current team, you, you will get, you know, a little bit of a market to pick up. But I don't know that it makes sense for the Sharks to get rid of him because of how much exodus they had on the blue line in this previous season. Um, you you got to have bodies to play. And, and I mean, I don't know. If you get a guy back on the other end, he's going to have to play on the defense because – you know, you, you've got your ba- arguably your best, well, not arguably your best player, um, le- you know, leaving. So you, I don't know where you've you got to have bodies to play, but you also have to have pillars to build from. And right now, Eric Carlson, and hopefully he continues this way, is definitely a pillar pillar that the Sharks can build from. As the guys mentioned earlier, Bordalo, Merkley, <laughs> Eklund, uh, end up becoming NHLers down the line. You want them surrounded by players like Carlson, Hurdle. Couture is the one that I wonder how much longer he plays in Teal. I'm not saying that he is around, he's gone by the end of this season, but you said it maybe 20 minutes ago. The Sharks are kind of wasting the best years of Logan Couture's career. And I got to wonder if he's a trade chip in the off season. Obviously he's the captain and he can be a player. This team can build around still. But I wonder about that. But as far as Eric Carlson goes, I don't think it makes sense, whether it's on ice or financially, because the rumors that we've heard, and I actually think there's substance to this, is that teams have been asking the Sharks, okay, we'll take Eric Carlson, but because of the uncertainty of whether he can maintain this insane pace, you're going to have to cover half of his salary. Or, or for the next four years, why would the Sharks still want to pay Eric Carlson six and a half million in 2025? That does not make sense to me whatsoever. To, to just just to to get rid of his salary, I'd rather keep him and pay him and let him play it out. And plus, Eric Carlson is a guy who I don't envision enjoys moving around. I think more than anything, because he didn't want to leave Ottawa. The only reason he left Ottawa was because of the Mike Hoffman situation and because Pierre Dorian and and, uh, Eugene Melnick couldn't figure anything out over there. But Eric Carlson didn't want to leave Ottawa. So it makes me think he didn't want to leave San Jose either. I think he just wants to have his family settled because he's definitely a family guy and not Peter Griffin. He's... (laughs) But uh, he, I, I think he's fine with finishing out his contract and maybe even career in San Jose. Yeah, I, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. He's a guy that likes to have stability. Um, I think he wants to be uh, a player that is able to freely walk the streets and do his own thing and, you know, not get hassled. He seems, you know, pretty low key that way. Um, and, and San Jose definitely kind of fits that mold. And Ottawa, um, I think, uh, of course, being Canada, you're always going to have rabid hockey fans. But Ottawa is more of a low-key city anyways. You know, they call it like the MP city, right? Because it's just, um, you know, a, a bunch of, of uh, politicians and really kind of has that Washington, D.C. kind of vibe to it where, um, you know, you get a lot of corporate guys going to games and it's a lot of suits um and so it doesn't really strike me as a city where you 
would see a lot of of fan interaction on like a day-to-day not like a montreal or a or toronto you know where they're very rabid but ottawa seems you know a little bit more prim and proper buttoned up and you know i think that that probably appeals to him as well but again like you had said i mean you got to have players to build around right and We've been asking for Eric Carlson to play up to his contract, and for the first time, I think he is. Yeah. And you're starting. And now, and now we want to ship him out. Now that he's doing exactly what we've asked him to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just it's kind of funny how the worm turns on that. But we got a question from Larry asking about Timo. Um, oh, okay. You know where where we think he's going to end up with, um, you know, at the end of this season, and if the Sharks, you know, are. are planning on on signing him and to that i say look you've got a player who's under team control um he's gonna be a restricted free agent right so the sharks definitely have you know first dibs but if you look across the league i mean guys of his caliber are getting paid you know a lot of money and there will there will be a team that will pay him a lot of money um it just if the Sharks really want to be serious about trying to contend while reloading, and that's kind of what the whole organizational stance has been, you have to have talented players, and and you have to have a reason for fans to go and show up. Because a Timo Meyerless and Eric Carlson-less team is not going to be fun to enjoy, right? I mean, those are two unique talents that you're not easily able to replace so i'd be more inclined to say that he will stick around and if anything you know the sharks will give him something a little bit longer term so that the aav isn't this 10 million dollar aav that we're all talking about because of his qualifying offer that doesn't necessarily mean he has to be signed at that or more right it's it's whether they can agree to some kind of contractual obligation um, and if not, then the arbitration, I mean, the, the minimum to qualify him to keep him for the next year is that $10 million. Right. Um, which I think a lot of people don't kind of understand that nuance where, you know, the Sharks aren't automatically on the stroke for $10 million a year. No, I mean, if they come up with a, let's say, an 8 by 8 deal, give him the hurdle deal at the same rate, I mean, you know, you're saving um, money right there in and itself. So, again he's young player they don't really go young power forwards don't really go up to to free agency all that much um a unique talent and is able to prove you know proven that he's a scorer so i mean to me that's a player you want to keep around i don't know about you kevin (laughs) definitely and and with the qualifying offer the sharks can say hey we're qualifying you at this but this is the ballpark we're looking at because financially it makes sense for both of us. And the Sharks can also come to him and say, if you want to make the money that we have to qualify you at, go out and play better. Go out and be one of the best players in the league. And I bet you Meyer will take that to that challenge on. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't, I think it is a reasonable question for fans to have, like like Larry asking about Timo Meyer. But do I think he's going anywhere? No, no. The only way he's going anywhere is if contract talks completely break down. And I just don't see that happening. I think everything is going to work out for the Sharks. Um, it it we can't pass it aside. It is something that's going to need to be addressed until it's done. But um, I think it's still a little early on the Meyer Meyer train, and I I want to see Meyer. I don't think Meyer is playing as good as he as he did last season, but I think Meyer is still showing up on most nights and being being one of the best players uh, night in night out. So right now he's yeah. sitting at uh, eight goals and eight assists for sixteen points in nineteen games. Um, so you know doing a good job as as far as the the point production. He had that really big drought but I think I'm with you uh Kevin where you know we've just seen him where he takes over games you know entire games by himself and we just haven't seen that signature moment yet from Timo this yeah. season um yeah. but again I think 
and and even if we do want to entertain um you know somebody coming in and swooping in and, and getting him i i think that the sharks would need to get something of of value of, of real substance on the on the return for a player at this age and and this type of of um, production um and i think it'll take take at least three assets um and and two of them being of the of the blue chip variety to even you know kind of enter the conversation I'm going to roll my eyes at myself for asking this question because I, but I genuinely don't I genuinely don't know and I don't know if you know this might be an Ian hockey jerk question here does the qualify the minimum qualifying offer have any effect on an offer sheet because those just don't happen so why am I even asking this um an offer sheet needing like is Could, does think, it bear effect on a minimum i think if it's if it's if it's a one-year deal then i think you you might there might be something After. there so if you yeah. if you get offer sheeted with a one-year deal then it might need to meet his qualifying offer threshold i'm not exactly 100 okay. percent sure yeah that. i don't know I, I mean that sounds right but i don't know for sure but i'm so but what I i'm mean, thinking here could, is could definitely offer sheet him to a seven by seven or you know okay you, sure you know seven by but if it's seven by seven i think the sharks take that and, and laugh right like, exactly you know? exactly so but but so so going back to what you said I think the Sharks do have a little bit of protection in a way. If if a team has to do an offer sheet based off of uh, the the qualifying offer, the Sharks can say, hey, we're not worried about an offer sheet coming in. So if you're serious about trading for one of our franchise players, Show us the money, right? Like what you're saying, three three quality assets. The Sharks uh, hold the ammunition. Yeah, and Ricky bringing it up, it costs more to offer sheet him than to trade for him. And I think that that would be, um, if you looked at the compensation or whatever. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So, I think you're right. So, kind of buttoning that up, Ian. Or Ian. <laughs> I mentioned Ian. It's my fault. It's yeah, okay. I had Ian on the brain. Um, Maybe maybe somewhere his his little robot senses are tingling, um, but I mean Kevin. I, uh, other than that, I mean, the organization seems to be kind of trotting down this this inev inevitable fate that they're just not talented enough to compete. And and I think that I've had that I had that same mentality coming into the season, as I think. You know, the season will evolve again. I think that they'll definitely be in some games because of the effort, the effort level being a lot better than it has been in sure. the seasons prior. Sure. But I think at this point in the game, you can kind of see that it's a talent disparity thing now. Definitely. And, and that's why that's why David Quinn is here to answer a couple of questions in the chat. That's why David Quinn is here. He's here to teach good habits. And that's what's going to get this team turned around. Um, the, the Sharks have had talent, more talented rosters than this missed the playoffs, I think, of a couple years ago. Um, but, yeah, the uh, Quinn's job is, he, he's fine. I don't know if Quinn is the coach to go into the future, like a couple years down the road, but for right now, he's doing exactly what he needs to do as a coach. And uh, sorry, I kind of strayed there from your your point, Eric. Oh, my bad. No, no, you're you're good. I think again, it just kind of all goes into the into the realm of you know what where where are the expectations set? Um, and and yeah. again, I think that three game winning streak. If you're listening to Shark State Media, is trying to reset expectations. Um, but I don't think I think that that's a smoke screen, and I don't think that. Um, if you're if you're a key nine viewer, I think we all know kind of where this is going um, and, and kind of where this sets up. So, yeah. again, it, it'd be nice to get um, value from expiring contracts or guys that are you know going to be ready to 
you know, be a, a free agent on the way out and able to get some value from that um, and, and trade those uh, expiring contracts. Maybe you start to think about exploring a Logan Couture trade and, and what you would need to get in return, but also, you know, where you can give Logan a, a you know, a shot to, to win. And I'm not sure. I think he's got some trade protection. So, You've also got to, yeah, you've got to, you've got to make it worth his while as well. So again, I think it'll just be very interesting to see where, um, you know, where the, the, the cookie crumbles end up falling. Um, but I think it's evolving and, and again, just not enough information yet from the staff of, of what their kind of tendencies are. And and we haven't really seen a lot of movement out of Greer one way or another. doesn't seem, you know, not very not to our knowledge active on the waiver wire haven't really seen you know things of that nature um, the, the, the thing with the waiver wire so like tyson joseph was claimed by buffalo from minnesota today and uh, he, tyson joseph is a player who i was extremely high on when he was drafted and it hasn't worked out so like that type of player you know we we've we and i say collectively we teal town usa have talked about how the Sharks have so many guys on this roster. We don't need more guys off waivers like like uh, Tyson Jost. So, I, yeah, I, I because of that aspect, you're right, Eric. We, we don't quite know Greer's tendencies yet. And I think he's still trying to figure it out himself, too. He's still... I think we won't see the true Mike Greer until the end of next season. Yeah, and I think that that's why the, his his draft class this coming year will be so interesting to see where he's gonna mine. If he's gonna, my my odds-on favorite is he's gonna be very collegiate heavy drafter. That's kind of what I'm where I'm guessing he's gonna um, go, and and it wouldn't surprise me if it comes out of um, you know the the hotbed of Massachusetts and and might see a few signings out of there or upstate New York because those are kind of his stomping grounds. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see that. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I, I'd like to see um, breadth on the team because it takes a, it takes a collection of different types of talent to come together to win a Stanley cup. Right. And, and you can't just mine out of one particular hotbed, so to speak. Yeah. And, and the sharks are going to be patient. I think it's very evident between William Eklund and Thomas Bortolo being sent down to the AHL to start the year, but also Nick Chichek getting called up to the Sharks before some of the other young defensemen on on the Barracuda. Again, Ryan Merkley, I still want to see more out of him in the AHL before he gets called up. That's why I was against him getting called up last year, although he was fine. But uh, the fact that Nick Chichek is up right now over... Ryan Merkley says to me, don't expect to see any of the top prospects on the Sharks this season. And so uh, that's going to that's going to be how it is going forward with the the draft, as you mentioned as well. Yeah, I'd say they're going to probably let them marinate for a little while. Yeah, Um, Kevin. So I think we'll 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 close it on this. Uh, The Sharks end up losing uh, two to one tonight in a great effort by James Reimer. What, What are your final thoughts and where the people can find you? Oh, well, uh, AJ put in a quote from David Quinn saying that's as bad as we've played since the Islanders game. It must be a New York thing. Uh, I, I I don't know. But um, yeah, the Sharks, the Sharks hung in. Let's let's not forget, even though the Rangers have been underachieving this season, the Sharks still hung in there against one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. And I, I, I think there is a positive there. Uh, it's just that they didn't. They hung in there. It didn't mean they looked good. The, shark, the Sharks really didn't look good tonight. James Reimer was amazing. 41 saves. And again, I think uh, my final thought on that is what I said earlier. This is this is what the Sharks can use, what Mike Greer can use to show off to other teams when they are saying, hey, do you need a goalie? Um, I'm at Kevin Lacey 22 still on Twitter for the time being. <laughs> uh and yeah just to echo what you said and my final thoughts are um good building blocks again defensively 
a real great um a, a, i think they're doing a good job of of getting um the high danger chances lowered um you had 40 43 shots on goal yes but i think a lot of them were of the periphery variety and and again you when you get a goaltender like James Reimer who is normally pretty good at those edge shots um, and keeping those out you know I think you're putting yourself in a good position and I think the Sharks put themselves in a good position to win this um, all the way up till you know they let that goal in in the in the third period um, with the stellar play of Reimer and and allowing them to be you know keeping pace with New York so again Good to see uh, those defensive building blocks. Uh, unfortunate to waste a good goaltending effort. Um, but as far as where you can find me, you can use my first name. That's Eric, E-R-I-K, Landy, L-A-N-D-I, across all the social media garbage. I, too, am still on Twitter. <laughs> so we'll see how long it lasts. Uh, we'll see if maybe... Oh. Uh, Oh, I finally hit 1,200 followers tonight, so thanks, 14 bots. <laughs> Elon must be doing something right. Yeah. Well, in case you missed it, you could check us out across all of these podcasting apps, that being the Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, the YouTube Reround. Uh, you got SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeart, and, of course, Audacity. Try finding us across all of those or you can always find us on tealtownusa.com. For Landy, Lacey, and the whole crew, keep it real, keep it teal, keep it real teal, and we'll see you after the next game.